0: Birth control didn't really exist in this time period unless, again, with a group of adults, you would spill your semen on the ground instead of inside of uh, your wife or in the woman. One time that's shown in Scripture where that is has a negative connotation and the man drops dead, it's not just because he was in the act of spilling his semen on the ground, but it's because he didn't want to do so to carry on the name of his brother. So that to say... Birth control, biblical or not, the true question is what is your heart and reasoning behind using the birth control? And that's where it all goes to. And I had a, a bunch of scriptures on how the Lord doesn't look as man sees, but the Lord looks at the out-the Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If someone has 15 kids, And somebody else has two kids or someone's not able to have kids, that doesn't mean that one person is holier than the other person. It's just different situations. If you're wanting to wait to have kids to be in a better financial position, there's wisdom in that. And the person that would tell you that, hey, birth control is breaking the will of God, you're getting in the way of God's will, then I believe you have to look at any modern medicine as breaking, in a sense, the will of God. Because in ancient times you couldn't have a surgery to heal yourself. So now if someone's on birth control and now they're breaking God's will, you're outside of God's will. If you're getting surgery or cancer treatment, are you breaking God's will? It's God's will for you to be dead and now you're somehow breaking it. So if someone wants to take that stance, then they have to look at every type of modern medicine and now ask God, is this really your will in my life or not? Am I breaking God's will or not? There are certain uh, birth controls that are dangerous, some that are even sort of borderline abortion where they're killing the baby once it's made. That's abortion. That's murder. That's not birth control. You're blocking the right, biology class, the sperm, from hitting the egg. Right? That is birth control. If you're trying to destroy it after it's already been created, that's murder. That is different. Um, So, I think that answers that question. Next question. Often in Christian culture, single people who want to be married but aren't yet can be seen as inferior or less than married people. Do you think this is true? No. Next question. No. um, Again, in our church, I hope this isn't the case. Again, lots of times people like to generalize things. In our church, I don't think this is the case. One of the reasons we switched from a singles ministry to a young adults ministry was we didn't want to put people in brackets just based on their marital state. So there's there's one is not better than the other. In fact, in First Corinthians chapter seven verse six through nine. Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as I myself, which is single, but each one has his own gifts from God, one in this manner, one in another, in that manner. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul gives you the pros and cons of each. And In certain instances, it's way better to be single than married. Uh, Some of you guys, the different mission trips coming up this year, going to serve at a camp, going and serving full blast, that's a blessed season in Singleness. That's a blessed season even in engagement and dating that I encourage you. Don't squander that season of serving God and just worshiping whoever your boyfriend, girlfriend, or fiance is. That's one of the blessed things about being single. You can serve the Lord with more freedom Then someone who's married that has to now consider the wife, the child, the children, the home, and all of those other things. Uh, You can write down Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. And that's just Paul speaking about the whole body being joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. So single, married, like we talked about earlier, no kids, 15 kids, grandparents, great-grandparents, single, old man. Again, it's all part of the body. One is not better or less or inferior or greater than the other. Uh, Next question. How have you learned or are learning to grow deeper in love with each other? Do you know each other's love languages? I know there's books I don't know if any dude's into it. I know a lot of girls that are into it, right? What are your love languages, right? What's your love language? And I hope you don't look at that as a, oh, let me see, my pronunciation has been really bad as of late, right? Your compatibility, Compatibility, right? Some people look at that, oh, we're just not compatible because your love language is different than my love language and we're not going to be able to speak the same love. So it's just not going to work. Again, man and woman, it's completely different. Different roles, different communication, different desires, whether it's in emotion or whether it's physical and in sex, just completely different. So if you're just looking at those four love languages and trying to figure out who's compatible with who, All right, total fail there. Uh, How do you learn? I think it's just by growing in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, it says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Again, the Lord is the one that increases the love in your heart and in your life. So now the only way love is going to increase in a marriage is if the husband is seeking God and if the wife is seeking God. If they stop seeking God, love only comes from God. If we had time, we go through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Love only flows through God. If God did not exist, love would not exist. It's just the way it is. And the further someone is from God, the further they are able to love others. They can love theirse- themselves very easily, but it's impossible to love others in depth in a sacrificial way unless you are plugged into the Lord. So how do you grow and learn to love each other more and more? It's by spending more time with the Lord. And then later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So it's the husband's job. I think, it's, I think it's pretty simple for the ladies to understand the men and what makes them tick and what they like and what they don't like. The men, for the rest of your life, you are getting a Ph.D. in whatever your wife is, right? And you're constantly having to learn her and relearn her through, through engagement, through marriage, through marriage with no kids, marriage with kids, marriage while she's working. You're constantly having to relearn her and dwell with them with understanding. That's a part of the role for the husband, not so much for the wife. I think guys were pretty simple creatures. The ladies, they're a bit more eclectic, right? A little bit more special. So it's the husband's job to continue to learn the wife, what makes her tick, What puts her in the mood, what doesn't, more often than not, what's going to put her in the mood is doing the dishes, cleaning the house, getting things ready. That is what's going to really put your wife in a romantic mood. It's not going to be the garbage you see on TV. It's definitely not the trash that you see in pornography. If you want whatever is not real, continue to live that lifestyle and go down that path. It will wreck your mind, wreck your soul, and definitely wreck your marriage. Does love grow in a marriage? Absolutely. You can read Songs of Solomon. Um, Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. So apparently that's the way to a woman's heart back in uh, Solomon's time: raising cakes and apples. Uh, Songs of Solomon, chapter five, verse eight. She says, "If you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am lovesick. His mouth is most sweet; yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem." So love can grow. She's lovesick. She likes kissing him. His mouth is sweet, right? And Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6 through 7, we sing this song as singing unto the Lord and what the Lord does in our heart. But it's also important to know the context of Songs of Solomon. It's a guy and a girl writing to each other back and forth. She says, For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame's Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for all for, would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. So yes, love should grow, and love in a marriage should be constantly growing more and more and more. You don't fall in love; it's not just an epic free fall. You're not just jumping out of a plane, and it's just going to continue to happen. But you got to continue to pour into that house. These next couple questions, they may hit some nerves. So just again, want to give proper context and my heart. I love how Ken puts marriage that it's all about your master, then it's about your mission, and then it's about your mate. That's what life's all about. First and foremost, who is your master? Is God the Father? Is God of the Bible truly your master? If he's not, Then go find a master, but everybody in this life is slave to something or someone, right? If you were here on Sunday, you're either a slave to God or you're a slave to Satan. There's just no other way around it. And if you are saved here, you were once slave to Satan. That's just the way it is. After you find your master, then you must find your mission in life. And this is especially important for the guys here. Some of you guys are here and you're saying, why why are no girls attracted to me? Because you have zero mission in life. You're going nowhere, you're doing nothing, so nobody wants to join you along for the ride. So again, especially as a man, you need a mission. What's your goal in life? Playing video games, video game job, don't give me that garbage, right? What is your mission in life? You need a valid mission. And once you've received your mission from the Lord, which is from God, it's going to have something to do with serving, serving the Lord first and foremost, and then serving people secondly, then God is going to reveal to you who that mate is. And that mate is going to help you further along that mission. And you're going to help her further along the mission that God has given her as well. So it's all about your master. It's about the mission that God has given both to you as a husband and to your wife and who your mate is. And they're going to help complement that mission. My mission, again, it's here at church. It's ministry. It's teaching. Amanda's mission, it's a lot to do with worship, with young adults, with the different uh, pastors' wives, with the different overseeing wives. And I will help Amanda in her mission by taking care of the kids and saying, you go do what you need to do right now. And it's that back and forth caring for one another and helping one another. It goes without saying how much she helps me in the mission God has given me. And before we get into these scriptures, again, for you to know my heart, I desire the absolute best for you. I desire the absolute best for you. I want each of you guys to have an incredible life. I want you guys to have an incredible marriage if that's what you desire, if that's what God has put on your heart. And I want you to be able to enjoy life every day at least as much as I do. I love my life. I truly believe that I am the most blessed man that has ever existed. I believe that wholeheartedly. My life, I'm fulfilled in life, I look forward to life, I wake up every day and I'm happy with my life, I'm happy with my marriage, I'm happy with my kids, I'm happy with my job, I'm happy with my used cars, I'm happy with every day of my life. And that's what I desire for each and every one of you. That you wouldn't wake up five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now with regret or hating your life or hating your marriage or hating what you've become. Ladies, I don't want you to marry a deadbeat slob. I don't want you to marry a guy that's a spiritual loser and can barely come to church and you're having to drag him to get here. I don't want you to marry a man that you end up raising as one of your children having to tell him what to do. I don't desire that for you, just like I don't desire that for my daughter Ella. I desire for you to have a man that cares for you, that protects you, that provides for you. A man that roots for you and is by your side through thick and thin. That's my heart's desire for you. For the guys, I don't want you to be married to an overbearing woman that zaps you of your leadership, that constantly sucks the wind out of your sails, and is constantly putting you down and belittling you. I don't want that for your life either. So again, as we go through these scriptures, you may be stung by them, you may hate me for them, you may hate God for them. Again, that's your problem. My desire is the best for you, and God's desire for you is the absolute best. If not, you wouldn't be on this planet. If not, he wouldn't give you his scripture. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. So it's such an important scripture. Why are we on this rock? What is my meaning in life? You could turn it. This is a, a going to turn to, especially if you have a King James Version Bible. I don't know how many of you have it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. God has created everything in this universe, including each and every one of you. If we had time, we could go through Jeremiah. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. He's knit us in our mother's womb. God has known you and what you were going to do, who you were going to be, before you were even born, before you were an idea. And you were created for God's pleasure. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. Some of us may not like that. You may be mad at that. But you're going to be mad and sad about your life until you come to that realization and you own it. And you say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm made to be. I don't know if you guys are at the point yet where you've gone through different jobs that you hate every day of it. Saying, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then you finally get that new job, that new position, that new place of serving at church. And you go, this is what I was meant to do. And you begin to love every day. You enjoy it, the hard things, the good things. That is where many people are because they're trying to live life apart from God. They're living life in rejection of God. And they're just miserable at life. They're bitter. There's no joy there. There's no love there. There's no hope, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. None of those things exist apart from God. In today's reading, how many of you guys are reading along with us? Got the little Bible card, right? Handful of you guys be reading your Bible every day. You're dating. someone ask them, "Hey, are you reading your Bible every day? Put them on the spot. But turn to Joshua in chapter one. Joshua chapter one, that was our daily reading today. If you're not going through our plan, that's fine, but man, read your Bible every day. It doesn't have to be our plan. Just read your Bible every day. That's how you grow in all things. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Again, we are not Joshua. Moses didn't die. But this is very applicable to us in our lives. God's heart for us and God's promises to us as well. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Again, God's desires for you, it's not to destroy you or crush you or give you a miserable life. God wants you to have joy in your life. That's God's plan for each and every one of us. But that can only happen if we're living this life of being strong and of good courage, a life of faith, a life of being strong and of good courage in God's word. You see, for many of us, there's different portions of scriptures we don't like, so then we're not courageous in the scripture and we just say, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to today. That's not not right. I don't really think that's there. And you just, you have no courage in uh, taking that scripture, believing who God is, and just taking ownership over it. Okay, God, you're the one that created me. It's by you that I exist. I was created for your good pleasure. You've given me this book. Lord, I'm going to own all these verses, the ones I like and the ones I don't like. And there's plenty of verses that each and every one of us don't like. So, all of that to say, next question. It says, two separate lives coming into one is a huge life change. How does trust and communication stay healthy without swinging to one way, over possession, or to the other, which is completely separate lives? I've witnessed both in marriage. There's some marriages, don't do this, right? Don't do this. The husband takes his own vacation, and the wife takes her own vacation. Don't do this. Bad, bad recipe for your marriage. Take vacations together, right? And then there's also over-possession, where the guy can't do anything unless his wife is present. They have to use the family bathroom so he could go to the bathroom, right? At the store, right? That's a little bit of a joke there, right? But he can't do anything unless, he, unless she's there. And the opposite wise, she can't do anything unless the husband is there to guard her, protect her, CIA, right? That's not the type of marriage that you want. It's... You got to trust one another. That's why it's so important to not betray one another's trust. And communication is a huge part of marriage, especially going into the marriage. What do you desire in life? What do you want for money? What kind of a house? How many kids? What kind of car? Birth control, right? All these things so important to talk about ahead of time. But let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because I think this answers a lot of these questions, right? Some people... Uh, they think marriage right is 50 and 50 and we make 100 and right we'll we'll do it together, each person owning their part. And that's just a recipe for disaster in marriage. And I think whether you think this is my life, that's your life, you do your thing, I do my thing. Or whether you think, hey, I do 50 and you do 50 and we'll meet together and do 100, that, that, that's just going to fail as well. So Ephesians chapter 5 gives us one of the cornerstone scriptures here for marriage we'll read it all verse 21 through 33 it says wives well 21 submitting to one another in the fear of God so that's everybody every believer really is supposed to be submitting to one another in the fear of God Then it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore just as the church is subject to Christ so let the wives be their own husbands be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Marriage is about going 110%, each of you, And dying to yourself. All of Christian life is about dying to yourself. It's in every aspect of Christianity. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You guys getting this over and over and over again? It's all about self denial. It's all about dying to yourself. Mark chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're a Christian here, your whole life is about self-denial. Your feelings, your desires, your thoughts about who you are doesn't matter. That's supposed to be put to death. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about dying. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's all about dying to self. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans 8:13, this is the last one, right? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And if anyone here wants to deny self-denial as a Christian, Romans chapter 8 verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And how do we sort of start start this off with? There's only two fathers out there, right? It's either God the Father or Satan. Everyone falls into one of those two categories. Whether your master is God, the creator of heaven and earth, or if your master is Satan himself. And the only ones who are belonging to God are the ones that are being led by the Spirit of God. And if you are being led by the Spirit of God, you deny your flesh. You deny what your body is telling you. You deny what sin and this world and this culture is telling you. If you are not... You're not a son or daughter of God. It's just the way it is. So how do these two separate lives come in and able to work together? It's by both lives going in at 110%. Not 50%. Not, hey, I do my half, you do your half. Because what does that lead to? That leads to just counting. Hey, I put in my 51%. You better at least give me 51 back, right? Hey, today I did two extra dishes. What are you going to do for me? And that's just a terrible place to be. All of life, all about Christianity is service. Being a slave, being a servant, and dying there. Because that's what Jesus did. Right? Go home, read Philippians chapter 2. Jesus' whole life was about humbling himself and dying there. And because of that, because he's gone from so high to so low, then God exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Got this little quote. It's pretty corny, but it's pretty great. It's called the marriage box. Most people get married believing in a myth that marriage is this beautiful box filled with all the things that they've longed for. It has companionship in there, has intimacy in there, has friendship in there. For some of the guys that may have sex in there or your favorite guy in there, whatever the case may be, right? It has whatever you've longed for in this box. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. And you must put something in before you can take anything out. There's no love in marriage, right? Love is foremost in God and then it flows into people, but the people are the ones that need to put the love into the marriage. There's no romance in marriage. You have to infuse it into your own marriage. The couple must learn the art and the form and form the habit of giving, the habit of serving. The habit of praising one another, not yourself, right? Of keeping the box full. If you take out more than you put in, the box will be empty. Again, it's just a great analogy. Sometimes we think in marriage, I'm going to just somehow arrive, right? Sometimes you're there and you think, man, I'm going to get to marriage and it's just, I'm going to arrive. It's going to be perfect. I'm never going to struggle with this. Anxiety, depression, fear out the window. Uh, pornography, this out the window. Gossip about stuff out the window. And it's just a bold-faced lie. That's why it's so important to continue to be filled by the Lord and then pour into your marriage. So I think there's a beautiful balance in being able to to share your spouse with other believers. I think you should be careful in sharing them with unbelievers, right? Unless they're on a mission there to share the gospel. But to be able to share your husband or wife with other people. And desiring the same for yourself, you got to continue to grow in that communication, that love, and that speaking to one another. But the Bible, we don't have time to go there, it says that her body belongs to him and his body belongs to her. So at the end of the day, that's truly what the Bible has to say on that. Next question, what is the biblical purpose of marriage and romantic relationships? Like a giant question. but I'll give you a quick answer. To die. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose, not to die from heartache or heartbreak. No, that's not it at all. It's what we've talked about. The, the greatest life to live as a believer is to crucify your life and follow Jesus Christ. And in marriage, you learn, you just learn how to die. I remember one time we were having a huge argument, me and Amanda, and I've had different hobbies now and then. I was like, what, am I not allowed to have a single hobby? And we kept fighting and arguing. And then later on, just me alone with the Lord, and God says, you don't deserve any hobby. All right, Lord, so I either fight you or I just die to myself. And I die, I give it up, and then later on, God just continues to bless me. Uh, Listening to, man, where was this? Sandy Adams, he was talking about ministry and being a good pastor. And he says, I believe you could be a great pastor and a great father and a great husband. But I don't think there's anything else you could add to it. I don't think you could be great at this hobby or great at that hobby and also be a great pastor, a great husband, and a great father. So he said he made a pact, him and his best friend, they sort of made a pact with each other that they're going to be the best pastors, the best fathers, and the best husbands they could be. But they both realized their own hobbies, their own selfish desires would have to be put on the back burner for a season. That's just what you learn in marriage, but it's a great place to be. Some of the other biblical reasons for marriage, it's to have kids. Biblically, you shouldn't really have kids unless you're married because you can't procreate biblically unless you're married Genesis chapter 1 verse 22 after Adam and Eve are together he says be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on earth everybody go and have babies because here's a male and here's a female right Genesis 2:18 what's another biblical pur- purpose for marriage it's not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper comparable to him life is better with friends don't let any hermit tell you, right? Don't let anyone that's sore or sour at life tell you anything different. And any old man or any old lady, life is better with friends. And marriage is basically getting to be with your best friend 24-7. And it's awesome. And that's one of the good reasons, godly reasons for marriage. One of the, what's one of the other godly reasons for marriage? We talked about it in Ephesians chapter 5. It's for sanctification, To cleanse one another, mostly the husband cleansing the wife. Ephesians 5, 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So in a marriage, you should be drawing each other to more and more holiness. More and more separation from this world, more and more separation towards God, and more and more separation for the work of God. That's one of the reasons, one of the biblical purposes for marriage. We don't have time to go there, but in Revelation 19 and in Revelation 21, it talks about the bride coming and her being adorned for her husband, her being in all white that's the whole purpose of the wedding and the girl wearing white and all the beauty. It's not just so you can blow 30 grand on a party. Don't do that. It's just a one-day party, right? That's all it is, one day. going to be here, gone tomorrow. You're going to forget about most of the details later on. So what is that all about? It's a picture truly to leading each other to more and more holiness. That's the point and the purpose of marriage, because that's the point of God's will for our lives. First Thessalonians chapter four verse three, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality." So marriage is just another sanctifying process over your life. Then he dovetails there, the Lord through Paul to the church that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's another purpose for marriage is that so you could have sex. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9, it says, If they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So those are some of the biblical reasons for marriage. Another one, Proverbs 27 verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And right out in the world, you have people that hire life coaches, right? And, hey, tell me how to do my life better, right? But the extreme people, really the filthy rich people, right? They'll hire a life coach to live with them for a season of life. They'll hire someone to live with them for 24 hours a day for like a whole month. And really, as you are married, as you're growing in sanctification, you have somebody else there checking you out on your good days, on your bad days, and lovingly saying... Is that really what's most pleasing to God? And when you're all alone, very rarely, right, your heart is deceitful above all things. Very rarely are you able to have enough self-introspection that you're saying, man, what I'm doing right now, is this really pleasing to God? Do I really deserve another three-hour break on the couch after my other eight-hour break on the couch, right? There's different things like that that happen in marriage, right? Do I really need another purse or another pair of shoes? Do I really need to do this or do that, right? That's just sharpening one another, encouraging one another, having fun with one another. What are the biblical roles of a woman during marriage? And for men. We looked at that in Ephesians. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 through 19. It says wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. We could turn to First Peter chapter 3. There's a whole lot there. Biblical roles of a woman during marriage and for men. So wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. This is just a very important thing. Lots of, lots of girls don't like the whole S word, right? Submission. I don't want to do that. It's only within this context, husband and wife. Any lady here, it doesn't mean that now you have to submit to any male out there. That's a, that is a... A chauvinist, right? That is a dork and a jerk. I remember serving at a, at a camp and a bunch of dudes being stupid, telling girls to be quiet. I'm like, you guys realize how stupid you sound right now, right? And guys, you should do that. If you got another guy being stupid, talking about ladies, just tell them how stupid they are, right? But it's not to be submitted to not every man out there that men are somehow superior to women. Not at all. These are the roles for marriage. Some guys, they take this completely out of context and say, I can't have a girl boss because the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? <laughs> Unless you marry her, right? Then it's different. Then it's different. But there's lots of ladies out there that are bosses, that are incredible bosses, that work incredible, that are great at their jobs, and you should submit to them. Oh, I got to move out of the country because the president's a girl. That's, that's, a, that's, again, out of context. Has nothing to do with it. Unless you're married to her, then marry that guy, right? The first man, the first gentleman, whatever that'll be, right? We'll be there sooner or later. Um, that, again, maybe he needs to go to a different country for a season for those four years or whatever, right? But it's <laughs> wife and husband. And that's it. That's all it is. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1-7. through seven, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, I want what's best for you. God wants what's best for you. You don't have to submit to every deadbeat out there, but hopefully the man you marry If you want a biblical marriage, you trust him enough. You trust the God in him enough, his relationship with the Lord enough that you are able to submit to him. And if you have a problem with that, especially before marriage, just continue to wrestle with the Lord and continue to pray for the right man. But be humble enough to say, God, you created everything. God, you created me. And God, you gave me this word. So I trust you. Be brave enough. Be courageous enough to take God's word and say, God, I trust it. You see, there's a lot of people out there that they're not brave and courageous. So they just try to pull scripture out and say, this doesn't belong here because it makes me uncomfortable. This makes me uncomfortable. So I don't think Paul, Paul didn't really write this or Paul's opinion doesn't really matter. I just pick and choose what scriptures I want. Peter, right? Now we got to go to Peter because Peter says the same thing. Peter, what does he know? He sunk. He put his foot in his mouth all the time. God called him Satan one time. Maybe he's not really belongs in the Bible, right? So I'm going to pull that out of scripture. There's a lot of things in Scripture that make me uncomfortable and I don't like. Jesus telling me to turn the other cheek when someone hits me. I don't like that very much. So do I just take that out now because it makes me uncomfortable? Him telling me to submit to governing authorities just because I don't like that, then I'll rip that out of Scripture? That's what a coward does. But a brave person is able to say, God, you are God and I am not. I trust you with my life. I'm only alive because you've done this. God, I trust you. I was listening to a pastor today who says, listen, I don't like that I'm called the bride of Christ. That makes me uncomfortable. But it is what it is. He's going to sweep me off my feet. He's going to carry me over the the, the threshold, right? And I'm going to own it because it's God's word. It's God's word and I trust him and I love him and I owe my whole life to him. That's why I keep telling you guys, if you don't like the Bible, if you don't like God, go find a master. Go find the master And serve him with all your heart. Again, I want what's best for you. I want you to have an incredible marriage where you can trust that man, you can trust that woman, and you can enjoy life because life is awesome. Life is amazing. Here at the church, we have probably about 30, you'd call them elders, deacons, and pastors. And a lot of those women are smarter, stronger, and more spiritual than their husbands are, right? But they're willing to submit. And they have marriages that have lasted 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And they look pretty happy, pretty content. You know, it's just the way God created it. He created it. He built it. And it works pretty great when you follow the instructions. There in 1 Peter, right, he, he had a lot to say there about submitting to your own husbands. Again, it's not every man out there. It's only your husband. Even if he's making boneheaded decisions, it's even to the point here where Peter's speaking to a husband and wife. The wife gets saved. The husband is not yet saved. Peter's saying, hey, submit to him because you are submitted under the Lord that your heart of submission would win over your unbelieving husband. Again, this all goes back to the fact that God created all things and by his pleasure, for his pleasure, they were created. We go to First Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be put in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control." You see, there's something that has continued to creep into the church, and that's really just a culture around us, right? We've had a lot of different movements in our nation, and that affects the church. And we have been bucking at authority. And it's not just authority versus us and God, but it has trickled into every part of society. So kids and parents, do kids not buck at the authority of their parents more than ever before? Right? Just civilians and police officers do people not buck at the authority of cops more than ever before of workers and their bosses you look at people at retail stores and the people that the way people treat the retail workers it's just hideous and it's the same thing in marriage the same thing with bible same thing within family everybody's trying to buck at the authority and the closer and closer we get to the return of Jesus the closer and closer we get to god's wrath being poured out on this earth there's going to be more and more sticking our no our nose up at authority and it's going to go to every effect. And one of the biggest things, right, men and women, those roles don't matter. I deserve just as much as the guy within the marriage, within the roles. The roles don't matter. That doesn't belong in the culture. And that has continued to grow to the effect of where we are at today, right? All this gender confusion, all this gender ridiculousness, the, the dudes in women's sports, it's utter ridiculousness. Read Romans 1. He's just given us over to a debased mind. Makes no sense. What Disney World's trying to push on the kids, again, it makes no sense. And the more we go and we're trying to play with the culture and play with church, it's going to continue to explode. And now you have trans flags outside of certain churches. Those are dead churches. Those are churches in the book of Revelation. We are called to be aliens. We are called to be pilgrims just passing through. That's what we're called to be. And that's our role, because this is not my home. I don't know about you guys. This world is not my home. This is not it. So I'm going to do my best to live like the Lord, how he's called me. I want my kids in heaven. I don't want my kids, cool kids in the culture and then burning in hell for all of eternity. What's what's that worth? So I don't want that for you either. So all back to this, right? Just biblical truths, biblical base. It's a good marriage. It's proven. It's tested. Look at the many good marriages in this church. It starts off with that men, what should men be doing? Verse 8. Pray. How often do you men pray? How often are you guys at prayer meetings? Is it just before the food? Lord, thanks for the grub. Amen. Right? Is that, is that your prayer life? God's role for men is that we be praying everywhere. Lifting up holy hands. How do you act in worship? Right? Hands in your pocket. Half asleep. Right? Hey, we'll get there right when the service starts. Are you worshiping the Lord without wrath, right? Anger problems. Again, ladies, if you're dating or engaged and the guy's already showing anger problems, back out. Take a step back. There's no room or reason for that if he's a believer, right? Doubting. Is he doubting his faith, putting doubt into the biblical word? There's no room for that. In, man, in like manner also, right? Here, the context of this, Paul's talking about how the church should be conducted so the women should also be in prayer. The women should also be lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. And then he says that the women in the church services, but also in life, they should be adorning themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly things, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. That word modesty just means dressed properly. That word propriety, it almost has an idea of being bashful in a sense, of not wanting to put everything out there, but wanting to keep certain things for your husband, right? That word moderation, it's self-restraint. It's sober-mindedness. And again, a lot of people have taken the scripture to a terrible extreme where they say, oh, ladies, you should only be in dresses down to the floor. You should have a train behind you, right, of of your dress. You should be covered from head to toe. That's not what this is saying at all. But you should have self-restraint. You should have a sober mind when you're getting dressed that just like everyone in this world that says they're a believer should have self-denial in their life. Here Paul is saying, do you have any self-denial when you're getting dressed? Both for the guys and for the ladies. Are you asking, is this all about me and my comfort? Right Right now the fashion is just like all about comfort. It makes no sense to me. I'm that old man at this point, right? Always wearing sweatpants, Crocs. What's going on here, right? Uh, makes no sense to me. But again, is your dress just all about you and your desires, your wants, your feelings? Or is even that brought under the cross saying, God, I am a slave. What would thou have me to do? David Guzik, he says, Propriety asks, is this appropriate for the occasion? This applies to both guys and girls. Is this appropriate for the occasion? Is it overdressed or is it underdressed? Is it going to call inappropriate attention to myself? That goes for both men and ladies. Before you go anywhere, right? A little bit of dad advice here, right? Ask yourself, are you overly dressed or are you underdressed? Are you the most underdressed person in the room Fatherly advice here, you never want to be the most underdressed person in the room ever, right? Is it going to call inappropriate attention to myself? You should be asking that. You want the attention, especially at church, not on you or what you're wearing or the lack of what you're wearing. You don't want that attention in the church. Moderation asks, is it moderate? Is it too much or is it far too little? Moderation looks for a middle ground. Again, that's how we should be dressed. We should be asking ourselves, is this too much? Is this too far? Is this too little? Do I really need a three-piece suit for young adults, right, on a Monday night? Do I really need to be wearing a wedding gown on this other girl's wedding? Should I really be wearing this, right? Or, Man, is this too little? How you dress reflects your heart. If a man dresses in a casual manner, it says something about his attitude. Again, guys, if you're always wearing, I know you're young adults, but once you're 34, if you're still wearing superhero shirts and cartoon shirts and dress like a slob, man, your wife don't want that. Your wife don't want that. Again, you should dress your age. Dress older than your age, right? Um, that's a little extra biblical, right? But for the ladies here, it's the same thing. It reflects your heart. If a woman is dressing in an immodest manner, it says something about her heart. Perhaps she's drawing a, trying to draw attention to herself. Perhaps she's just following the culture and getting her cues from the culture. And that was the problem here in the church that Timothy was leading. The whole idea of braided hair and gold and pearls or costly clothing, right? Are girls not allowed to braid their hair? Their daughters are the devil if they got braided hair, right? Or gold or have pearls? Not at all. But in this culture, what was going on is that the priestesses of the goddess Diana, which were temple prostitutes dressed in a certain manner. And the way they dressed was with braided hair, it was with gold, and it was with pearls. So again, their questions would be arising. It was also about peak girls that had so much money, they were just trying to show how extravagant and how rich they were, and it was drawing attention away from the study that was going on here in the church that Timothy was leading. So for each and every one of us, where are we getting our cues for being a husband, for being a wife, for being a father, for being a mother, and for how you dress? Are your cues from this world and the culture and the things going on? Or are your cues from other women or other men professing godliness that have good works attached to it? Again, that's what modesty is all about, and it goes for the guys and for the ladies. And again, for the guys and the ladies, we're at a pretty blessed place. I don't think yet, fingers crossed, right? Me and Jose, we haven't had to kick out any guy because he's always flirting with the girls or talking with any of you. Likewise, you haven't had to kick out any girl because of the same type of behavior, right? So most of the time, if a guy is dressed immodestly or if a girl is dressed immodestly, it's just awkward to the people around them. It's awkward when you're playing volleyball. It's awkward during worship service. It's awkward when you're getting snacks. So again, that idea of having to look like the culture, almost in a sense, if you're looking like the culture of the church, glory be to God, hopefully we continue on this track, if you're going to look and dress different than this world. And, and just what this world says is okay. I'll be honest with you guys, Hawaii was absolutely amazing. One of the negative things about Hawaii is I saw way more butts than I ever thought I was ever going to see. It just seems like every bathing suit at this point is what you call a tanga, right? That's just basically what it seemed like. Again, ladies, you pray. Whose father do you belong to? Who do you dress like? What's the culture that you want to be a part of? I was listening to, some of you guys know Ronnie Breen, right? Ronnie Breen, there's nobody sweeter than Ronnie Breen. But he was talking about how before he was saved, when girls were dressed in a certain way, Before he was saved, he would think those girls want him to come and talk to them. That's just, they're calling attention to themselves and the way that they're dressing. And his stance was like, hey, if I can protect my daughters, if I can protect some of you ladies here, from dressing in a way that calls attention from men of this world to want to come and approach you, hey, you're going to crucify me for that. If you want to say, oh, what a monster, all this, no fun, I want to dress in this, that's up to you. But I just desire that you wouldn't have men of the world look at you and think, oh, this girl wants me to talk to her or be with her or anything else like that. Again, where are we getting our cues from? Is it the Lord? Is it not the Lord? Are bikinis of the devil? I don't know, man. That's between you and the Lord. I will say one thing talking with uh, Pastor Rip. Some of you guys know him, some of you don't. Again, in the 60s or 70s, sometime around there, I'm probably off with the dates, right? Bikini came popular, exploded. It was all over our culture. And one thing he said, that I was like, man, that's pretty harsh, right? I think some of the men here, and we've gone through that in camp, right? How come the guys, they get to not wear shirts when they go in the water, right? They get to wear a normal bathing suit, and the girls have to dress super weird and all this stuff, right? I think this is a good way to look at it, even though now I pray about that. Lord, was that really the right heart, right? I know Jose, he made the guys dress in shirts no matter what at the water they were at. However, I think many of the guys here would be completely comfortable walking in their front lawn, taking out the garbage with no shirt on. I think many of the guys would be here like that, fine. I don't know how many of you ladies would be just completely comfortable walking around your front lawn in your panties and brawl. All right, if you're completely comfortable with that, again, that's between you and your dad, right? That's between you and your dad. You should talk to him about it. So what Rit was saying is somehow advertisers were able to convince all the women and all the dads out there, really, that being in your bra and panties on your front lawn, that's sort of shameful or weird. But being in your bra and panties out at the beach, that's just completely cool and fine and okay. So again, you may hang me for this. Eh, I'm okay with that, right? I'm fine with that. I love you guys. I want the best for you guys. And we need to be more than ever as our culture is drastically going into two corners. Whether if you're in this corner, it means you hate that one. Or if you're in this corner, it means you hate that one. You just want to be on the side of righteousness. You want to be above reproach. You want to be above any accusation. That's for the guys as well. We need to dress in a way that's appropriate. And if any guy here is walking around with his legs wide open or showing his plumbers crack... Guys tell them something, right? Hey, that's not modest. Not modest whatsoever, right? And it's the same thing for the ladies. You don't want to dress in a way that calls attention to yourself. And there are many of you, all of you, right, really, dress in ways that is absolutely beautiful. You don't look like you're a pilgrim or anything crazy, right? And you're dressed absolutely in a way that's modest and tasteful and I think honors your father. And uh, both your earthly father and your father in heaven. So it's possible. I'm not saying, oh, dresses down to your ankles. Definitely not saying no makeup. It's not an excuse to be in sweats all the time. Zach talked about modesty, so I'm just sweats and crocs from here on out. No, not at all, right? Please, not at all. One last thing. One last thing, right? Again, be counterculture. Be counterculture. One last thing, right? The whole idea of Submission. What does that look like? What does that mean? Do I just got to do whatever the guy says? Is there a guy here trying to hang that over his wife's head? Again, that's a, that's a terrible husband. If in, your, if in your premarital, again, giving you guys many outs in your dating and in your engagement. If in your dating or engagement, this dude pulls out the wife be submissive verse, rah, red flag, back out, pull out of there, don't go anywhere further, right? This verse is not for some, again, dummy to pull out and say, hey, you have to submit to me. The whole idea of submission, it's a military term to be arranged, to be willing to yield under an authority. Warren Wiersbe, he says, anyone who has served in the armed forces know that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. Just as an army would be in confusion if there were no levels of authority, so society would be in utter chaos without submission. And submission, it's on all throughout the Bible. In this teaching, whether you like it or not, right, you guys are somewhat submitted to what I'm saying. That's why everybody's not standing up and saying what they would think or what they believe the Bible is saying. You walk into a store, you're under the authority, you're submitting yourself under Publix, doing what Publix is saying. It's just in every area of life. Lots of areas in scripture. We need to be submitted to our government and every ordinance of man. Servants are to be submissive to their masters. That's you working. You should be submitted under your boss. Jesus, equal with God the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus was submitted to the will of his Father. To the point that he became a slave. So does submission mean that you are any less than your husband? No. No, not whatsoever. Oftentimes it's a place for the husband to grow and have to make more difficult and spiritual decisions. At least every time Amanda says, Zach, you do what you think and what the Lord's leading you to do, more often than not, I say, I'm not going to do that. Right? More often than not, that, that's exactly what I do. Because I'm going to take a step back and seek the Lord and then every once in a while I say, hey, this is really what I think God is leading me to do. Again, submissive to any man, any male out there, not at all. First your father, until you pass that time where you're under his wing, have to be submitted to your dad. After that, only to your husband. Not your boyfriend, not your fiance, not your crush, not your youth leader or pastor or anything like that. Find another church if you don't want to submit to them, right? But it needs to only be to your husband. It's all about just the order, the roles that God has given us. Not order of importance, order of brains, order of smartness. Jesus was submitted to his parents. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 tells us. They lost him. They literally lost him, right? And he was submitted under them. Again, time and time again throughout Scripture, we don't have time to go through it all, right? But submission, it's really a blessed place to be. Even today, I was talking to my dad about something, and I said, Dad, I'm going to take the role of a, the, the assistant pastor here, and I'm going to just submit to whatever you say, and it's going to be on your head between you and the Lord, Right? And really, that's the easier place to be. Lots of times I miss being an associate pastor. I miss that because I used to be able to sit back and as long as it wasn't completely unbiblical, I'd say, Pastor Raz, if this is what you think, I'm going to do it. And if it's wrong, it's between you and God, right? (laughs) I'm, 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 I'm doing my part with the Lord. And that's what it means to submit to your husband in a loving way, not in a sarcastic way or telling him all the other areas that he failed. You're saying, honey... I'm being submitted to the Lord. And if this is what you think we should do, that's between you and God. I'm standing right before the Lord. And then again, the difficult part for the husbands is for us to learn our wives and to love them sacrificially. Well, you have to let go of some of your hobbies? Maybe. Should you be willing to? Yeah, she's way better than video games or boating or any other garbage out there, right? And keeping her, being with her, learning her. It's all better than all those things. So, both husbands and wives, guys and girls, man, be modest. Ladies, don't get your cues from the world. Don't dress like the world. Don't be showing your body parts like the world. Guys, don't show your body parts like the world. I was joking with a man that, guys, don't get face tattoos like the world, right? That's what the world and culture is telling us to do. Don't get face, face tattoos. Um, man, God wants what's best for you. I want what's best for you. Uh, let's pray. Lord, again, we we thank you, Lord. Thank you that, Lord, you don't want to destroy us, Lord. You don't want to destroy our homes. But even like we read in Joshua, Lord, uh, even Psalm 1, Lord, that when we're following you, we're following your word, God, when we're staying away from the counsel of the ungodly or with the wicked or with scorners, Lord, how everything that righteous man does, did, Lord, it's going to prosper, God. And I, I I pray that over every man and woman here, Lord, that we would have a desire for you and a desire for your word, Lord, that, God, there'd be a, a competition in who is the most blessed man and woman here, Lord, that each of us in our submission to you and to your word, Lord, would be able to taste of the blessings of your life, God. And God, if anyone's here, Lord, and Maybe they don't trust you. They don't trust your word. God, I just pray they put you to the test, Lord. Maybe to spend a week. Maybe spend a month. All right, God, I'm going to do whatever your word says, God. And Lord, put you to the test, Lord. And see if you will not come out faithful with extra blessings and goodness in their lives, God. So Lord, help us. Help us to be the marriages, Lord, that continue to establish this church, Lord. The the marriages that are the pillars of this church, Lord. What make this church tick and make this church healthy, God? It's so many healthy marriages, God. I pray that we'd continue that legacy, Lord, for our sons and daughters and for each other's sons and daughters. May we be accountable to one another. May we encourage one another. And again, Lord, you know our heart is that we grow in you and we would grow lifelong friendships here, Lord, as a result of this ministry. So we just love you, God. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.